Pastor Brian, and uh, it is really a pleasure for me to be here with you today. And I have never been more nervous to preach a series than the one that we're starting today. And the reason is because I don't, I don't think I would do well in jail. And we're talking about things that people get canceled for in our culture right now. We're talking about stuff that, um, that we really prayerfully consider. Do we do this on a Sunday morning? Do we talk about this on a Sunday morning? And as we prayed about it, we said yes. It's important for us to, to lift up God's word. It's important for us to make sure that we're teaching everything that God's word teaches. And in our culture right now, our culture, influencers and people in our culture are blurring the lines between men and women. They're blurring, they're blurring the lines between manhood and womanhood and masculinity and femininity. It's crazy to me what is going on in our culture. I can't even believe it. I can't believe how rapidly it's moving in this direction. And, and it's, almost, it's almost as if we can't, we, it's almost as if the only person who can't have an opinion these days is a Christian or worse yet, God. And what we're going to do in this series is we're going to talk about God's design for humanity. We're calling the series Anthropology, and it's going to be a, just a quick three-week study on biblical manhood and womanhood. For those of you who don't know what anthropology is, let's start with the definition. Here's what anthropology is. It's the study of human biological, physiological, and cultural characteristics and their evolution. And that last word's interesting because it has evolved. Society has, has been morphing masculinity and femininity. Society has been confusing our children. It's been confusing our young people. There's more anxiety, there's more angst today than ever before. I mean, Fear and anxiety is rampant in our young people, and there are a lot of reasons for it, but I think one of the reasons for it is because we're not allowing God to speak into our identities. I should probably pick that up. Ryan, would you grab me that real quick? You see it right under there? Thanks. <laughs> That's a real man right there. That is a real man. We're going to be talking about Ryan today. But I, I think that that what we're going to be doing in this series is, this isn't going to be like a, like a college course. When you look at the title Anthropology, we're trying to be a little clever there. What we want to do is we want to take a look at biblical anthropology. Because if you want to know, if you want to really know what human, biological, physiological, and cultural characteristics are supposed to be, you should go to the one who designed us. You should go to God's word because God designed us. God made us. God made humans. So if we're trying to understand who we are, what our identity is, if we're trying to understand our sexuality, if we're trying to understand if you're a man or a young man, if you're trying to understand what it means to be a man, you shouldn't just go on YouTube to find out. You shouldn't just go on Twitter to find out. You should see, well, I wonder what God says about this. What does it mean to be a man? If you're a woman or a young woman or a girl, you shouldn't just listen to the influencers to find out what it means to be a woman. You should say, well, what does God's word have to say about it? And so that's what we're going to be doing throughout this whole series. So here's where we're going in the next few weeks. Today we're going to just talk about what's the difference. We've called in a school nurse, and she's going to bring some slides and help us to... 
understand the difference. No, we're not doing that. We're going to just take a look at what the Bible says the difference is. We're going to take a look at some, uh, some stuff from Genesis chapter 1. We're going to get really fundamental, and, and I hope that uh, you're ready to learn this. And then next week for Mother's Day, we're going to talk about biblical womanhood. Next week, we're going to look at Proverbs 31. And then in week three, is, it's my favorite lesson in this whole series, we're going to talk about biblical manhood. We're going to talk about five marks, according to the Bible, five marks of mature masculinity. That's week, th- week three. So again, I just would encourage you, invite someone next week. Share today's podcast with someone if you feel like it's helpful, right? We're going to be talking a little bit to parents, but we're going to be talking to everybody. And you might, I'm sure we all have people in our lives that, that could use some clarification on some of these things. And our goal here really isn't to, like, to jump into the cultural wars. It really isn't. Our goal here in this series is to get the conversation started on biblical womanhood and manhood and also gender and sexuality. Now, we're not going to actually talk on, from the stage in our 30 minutes that we have in the sermon. We're not really going to jump into gender and sexuality stuff. That, that We believe that that requires conversations in your homes, conversations in your small groups, conversations with the people. Maybe if you're mentoring someone, if you're in a mentoring relationship, and I hope that many of you are, I, I would encourage you to to stop what you're doing right now and, and talk through some of these topics if, it's, if it'll be helpful to you. So if you go to our series page for this series, pursuegod.org slash anthropology, you'll see lesson one, two, and three right there, but you'll also see a, a fourth tab that is everything else on gender and sexuality in the Pursue God library. Don't Google it. Don't Google it. What should I think about gender and sexuality, Siri? Don't do that. Siri doesn't know. Google doesn't know. All, the, all, their, all those, you know, all, all they're doing with their, with their uh, technology and their algorithms is they're, they're taking groupthink and they're elevating either the most extreme stuff or they're elevating the stuff that everybody, that the most people believe in. So don't let Google serve up everyone's opinion. On this, Let me just challenge you on that. Don't let Google serve up everyone's opinion. Don't let Google serve up culture's opinion. Don't, so don't Google it, pursue Google it. Pursue God. Go to Pursue God. And, and if it's on Pursue God, you can trust that we vetted it and it's worth listening to, okay? It's worth listening to. Now, I want to just say one more thing before we jump in. Some of you are, are already on the a little bit like tense right now. I know that some of you are. I recognize there are going to be some of you that, are, that were raised in a traditional Christian homes who can't wait to stick it to our culture on this, okay? I recognize that. Some of you have been so influenced by our culture, or maybe you're not even a Christian yet, and you're like, what the heck? What are, what are we talking about here? I, all I ask you, those of you who are over here that are maybe a little bit skeptical about what we might say about this, all I ask of you is to... Give God a chance. Give God a chance on this. Give God's opinion a hearing. You listen to everyone else's opinion, so give God's opinion a hearing on this. And this includes our young people. Young people, I pray that you will pay attention to what God's word says, because 
if you go to school this week or you get on YouTube, you're going to hear the opposite end of this. And you're going to, there's this thing that Satan loves to do is he has just inundated our world with falsehood. And so it's so prevalent out there that when you hear the truth, it almost doesn't ring true. When you hear the truth, you're like, oh no, wait a second, I heard a teacher, I heard an influencer say something about this, and that sounds so old-fashioned, or that sounds, that sounds so narrow-minded, and I just, I pray that our young people would listen to this and would allow God's word to be established in their, in their hearts and in the framework of how they think about even themselves. So I, I just challenge you to give God a chance, everyone in here, give God a chance, and that's what we're going to be doing in this series. I want, to, I want to start with this quote. There's a, a great book if you are interested in learning more about what the Bible says about sexuality. There's a book called Holy Sexuality written by Christopher Yuan. And here's what he says. Without a correct theological anthropology as the bedrock of our understanding of human sexuality, theological anthropology means an anthropology that is, that is driven by this rather than driven by our culture. An understanding of humanity and sexuality that's driven by God instead of just driven by our culture. And so he says, without a correct theological anthropology as the bedrock of our understanding, we are more easily led to subtle but consequential distortions of the truth. And this is exactly what's happened. Again, the, this book, there's a link to this book at the bottom of lesson one, just underneath the discussion questions. So if you want to pick up that book, especially if you're, if you're walking with people or if you yourself are confused a little bit on gender or sexuality and you're like, I want to know what God's word teaches. This is a great book. Christopher Yuan was a homosexual and then he came to faith and he began understanding it from a biblical point of view. So he's, speak, he's not being judgmental about it. He's speaking with real understanding and real knowledge of what the culture says about it and then what God's word says about it, and he experienced it. He experienced it. So it's really, it's a great read, and I really encourage you. If you're struggling with this or if you know anyone that's struggling with this, pick up that book and check it out. All right, so let's jump into lesson one. Enough for the introduction. Our identity... Be it sexual or otherwise, our identity is rooted in the fact that we are created in God's image. If you want to know what God's word says fundamentally about manhood and womanhood and sexuality, our identity is not actually based on whether you're a man or a woman, what body parts you have. There's something even more fundamental than your, ident than your sexual identity, and it's the fact that you were created in the image of God. And the Bible furthermore says that women and men are of equal value and dignity in the eyes of God. So just in case, just in case you think that our approach in this series is the way that some Christians throughout history, some religions, some churches, some institutions throughout history have sort of, have sort of lowered women and elevated men. I think that's, a, that's kind of a a fear that people might have is, that, oh, anytime we talk about a biblical picture of manhood and womanhood, men are up here and women are down there. And you know what? Some churches and some, some uh, institutional leaders have portrayed that. That is not theologically correct. God's word makes it clear that women and men are of equal value and dignity in the eyes of God. I'm going to show it to you. But let's start with this identity issue. Genesis 1, the very first chapter in the Bible, Genesis 1, verse 26, 
God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. And this, this verse is so powerful. This verse has, contains in it so much as far as how we as Christians should think about men and women. The reason, the reason you, young man or young woman, the reason you have great value, the reason you have incredible dignity is because you are created in the image of God. Your dog was not created in the image of God. Your cat was not created in the image of God. Your fish, if you have a fish in a fishbowl swimming around at home, that fish was not created in the image of God. That doesn't mean that, that, those, that, our, that our pets are worthless, but it does mean we are more valuable than the rest of creation. Some people think that's really offensive to say. It's what the Bible says. You were created in the image of God. And when God created you in his image, he said, this is very good. When he created all the rest of creation, after each of the days of creation, he created the sun and the moon and the stars and the fish and the birds and everything. And after every day, he would say, this is good, this is good, this is good. It wasn't until the sixth day when he created man and woman that he says, no, this isn't just good. This is very good. In other words, God created us and it was very good the way he created us. And he created us in his image. And, and, and for that reason, you have incredible dignity and value and worth. Do not let the culture fool you into thinking that your dignity or value or worth comes from anything else. How you view yourself, your sexuality, your sexual preferences or anything. No, your value and worth is, is rooted first and foremost in the fact that you were created in the image of God. I pray that the Holy Spirit reveals to you the full extent of that statement. But we need to move on to the next part of this. And it's in Galatians chapter 3 in the New Testament. Paul says this, for you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And then he, he makes this statement that I think if you're reading your Bibles, you might just quickly pass over. But we're not going to pass over this today because this is a radical, revolutionary statement that Paul made 2,000 years ago. Here's what Paul said. Now think about this. Paul says this in a culture, in a Middle Eastern culture, essentially, Right? Paul is saying this in a culture that is probably the closest to the, maybe how the Arab culture is today. So imagine in, in a culture like that, a statement like this. Paul says, there is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. He is saying at the foot of the cross, the ground is level. It's, it's difficult to explain how radical the thought that was right there. Jews and Gentiles were at the end of the spectrum. In the early church, Jews and Gentiles were having a hard time getting along and understanding how this is going to work together in one church. Wait, God wants a church with Jews and Gentiles? Those were always two separate things. No, wait, God wants both of those and they're equal? Wait a second, God is going to allow the slave and the free to be in the same church, in the same community? Wait a second, that's radical. That doesn't make, what, wait, did you, Paul, did you just say God wants male and female to be in the same church, have equal footing? And that's exactly what God is saying here. These are two ends of the spectrum, two things that couldn't be more different. And God is saying, through Paul, he's saying what Jesus did on the cross has changed everything. 
And I want you to hear that. What Jesus did on the cross has changed everything. And when God looks at us, he looks at us as his children, male or female, man or woman. That's a powerful statement. So that's the first thing you need to know about what the Bible says. The Bible says that men and women are equal in the eyes of God. But there's a second thing. It doesn't just stop there. Here's the second thing you have to understand. This is the one that might be harder for some people in our culture to swallow. Women and men were created different on purpose. Womanhood and manhood are meant to complement each other rather than duplicate each other. So even though men and women are equal in the eyes of God, so we got to hold that up as a truth. The other truth that we have to hold up, and this is the one that will be harder for some of you, is that men and women are different on purpose. And hear this, it's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. Women, don't try to be a man. You're not a man. You're a woman. Young women, hear that. Young men, don't try to be a woman. You're a man. God made you like that. And it's a good thing. And one of the things I pray that you'll do over these next few weeks, and even into the year, parents, especially with your kids, I pray that you will explore this together, that you won't be afraid to do this. The world is out there telling our young people all kinds of stuff. If we don't tell them what God's word says, then they're only going to get one input. They're going to only think about it according to what the influencers say, and the influencers don't know what God's word says. Men and women were created different on purpose. To see this, we have to go back to Genesis. I love this. I want, I don't, maybe you've never seen this before. I want you to see this. It says in Genesis chapter 1, you notice I've, we're just going to jump around from verse 6 to 14 to 17 to 18. God said this when he's creating everything. He said, let there be a space between the waters to separate the waters of the heavens from the waters of the earth. And then God said, let the lights appear in the sky to separate the day from the night. See what we're talking about here? And then he says, God set these lights in the sky to light the earth, to govern the day and night, and to separate light from darkness. So notice, in this passage, in Genesis 1, there's a pattern of differentiation. There's a pattern of differentiation. When God is creating everything, he is differentiating between light and dark, between day and night. And then, in the context of that, we see verse 27. And so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And then God looked over all he made, and he saw that it was very good. This pattern of differentiation is intentional. There is a difference between men and women. And that's a good thing. I said earlier, women, don't try to just be a guy. Now look, I've got a, I've got a daughter who is very strong. She is smart and she can't, if I could, I, I'm, I can say this because she's not here. Um, she, no, she gives me permission to say this. She, she, one of the things that just has bugged her so much growing up here in Utah is that her school counselors have always tried to keep her from succeeding, have tried to keep her from like having goals and moving forward. 
It's like her school counselors have tried to tell her just, it's almost like the subtext is, no, you're just going to be a mom someday. That's all. And that bugs my daughter to no end. And I want you to know it's good that it bugs her. I'm not saying, when I say there's a difference, please don't assume that I mean what the school counselor means. Women, you should work hard. You should, we're going to learn this next week when we look at a Proverbs 31 woman. She's a little, little spoiler alert. She's out there working. She's, she's, she's not just a stay-at-home mom. So we're not, we're, I don't want you to think that we're only, we're only painting this picture where women have to all look the same way. God has gifted all of you women differently, and that's a good thing. And God has gifted men differently, and that's a good thing. So we don't want to be misunderstood by what we're saying here. And we don't want God to be misunderstood. But this much, this much is sure. There is a difference between man and woman, and it's a good thing. And you should seek it out, and you should embrace it, and you should celebrate it. You shouldn't, be, you shouldn't feel ashamed to say, wait a second, there is a difference, and we embrace that. In my home, my wife is very strong, and she is, a, she is an incredible leader. She's an incredible woman. But we embrace the fact that there is a difference between us, and we want our kids to see a, 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 a mom and a dad in a home. And we want them to understand the biblical difference between this. And we'll be talking about this more in the next couple of weeks. But I want you to know that this was baked into you from the beginning. This is part of God's good design. It's not a bad design. It's a good design. So I hope you will go about exploring what it means that woman is different than man and man is different than woman. I hope that you wouldn't be embarrassed or shamed into not exploring that. Like we've, we're just blurring these lines and it's just all this, it's not good, guys, what our culture is doing. It's not good. We should let God speak into our situation. John Piper says this, if it is true that the way God made us is good, then we should be very slow to gather a list of typical male weaknesses or a list of typical female weaknesses and draw a conclusion that either is of less value than the other. One of the things he says in his book, What's the Difference, another great book to read, is he says that if you were to write, um, if you were to write out on, on, on a sheet of paper man's strengths and weaknesses and woman's strengths and weaknesses, he said that that, that list would complete each other, that that list would complement each other. And I can just attest to that in my own marriage. The, even just, my, just between my wife and I, I think this is how God designed it to be. Her strengths are my weaknesses, and my strengths are her weaknesses, and together we complement each other. And that's a good thing. God made it that way. Now, you'll notice we don't have time to jump into all the details on this, but we want to make sure that you understand that this, is, that this is how God designed it to be, and we want you to explore it for yourself, again, with your families, with your small group, with your mentor. But here's one more thing that we need to make sure... Uh, to explain. And to me, I feel like this is kind of the, the, at the heart of this issue for this whole series. God gets to decide how we should think about femininity and masculinity. Some people will be just very offended by that. But I, I just really believe that. This is what I want to tell my kids. Hey, kids, just be aware that you've been influenced by a lot of people. God gets to decide how we think about it. If that's offensive to you, I don't think you fully understand Christianity. Christianity is, our, is submitting ourselves to God in his opinion. Our definition, if you've gone through the pursuit, our definition of sin is this. Sin is 
Trusting and acting on your own opinions and feelings rather than trusting and acting on God's truth. That's what sin is. Sin is elevating your opinion over God's opinion. So, so this is an area in your lives, this is an area in our lives where we could be sinning and not even realizing it because we are not letting God decide what we should think about masculinity and femininity. We're letting our own opinions decide or we're letting our culture decide or we're letting peer pressure from our culture affect us in such a way that we, we elevate our culture above God's word and may it not be so. God gets to decide. And I, I hope that you would embrace that. That's a statement that you should, you should wrestle with for the rest of your life. God gets to decide how you think about anything. God gets to decide how we think about money. God gets to decide how we think about marriage. God gets to decide how we think about parenting. There's nothing God doesn't get to decide on. So that includes our masculinity and femininity. God gets to decide. That's why we're just, we want to see what God's word says about it. And here's the second part of that. Aligning ourselves with God's design leads to freedom and joy. It does not lead to oppression. It does not lead to angst. It does not lead to anxiety. It does not lead to, to fear. Aligning ourselves with God. Now, this is the part that you're going to just have to trust. Aligning yourself with God's design leads, really does lead to freedom and joy. And, and f- so failing to do that leads to the opposite. Let's just end with some scripture here so that you can understand this. Psalm 139, the psalmist writes this. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. And he's, he's like praying this prayer to God, a prayer of thanksgiving. He says, thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. God made us who we are. God decided if we would be male or female. God, God determined that. And I love the attitude that the psalmist has here. He's just saying, I embrace it. I'm not going to fight it. I'm going to embrace it. And I love you for it. I thank you for it. And I want to explore it more. And I want to understand it more. This is the attitude that we should have. And then one more thing. Jesus' words himself. He says, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. And then he says this. One of my favorite verses in scripture. He says in John 10.10. The thief... The thief's purpose, Satan's purpose, is to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus said, my purpose is to give people a rich and satisfying life. And I think in this area, the thief is winning our culture. The thief's purpose, you need to hear this. Jesus said this himself. The thief's purpose in the area of masculinity and femininity, the thief's purpose, the enemy's purpose, the prince of this world who is Satan. His purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. He wants to, young people hear this, he wants to bring death into your life and he's going to use the culture to do it. Jesus' purpose is to give you a rich and satisfying life. And if you would align with God's design, if you would say, I want to, wait, hold on, I want to just stop letting all these other inputs influence me so much that I start to define myself according to how the world would would have me define myself. I, w- I just pray that you would release that and say, no, wait, God, I want to, from this day forward, I want to start letting you define me. Here's what I think you'll find. You will find incredible freedom and joy. I'm a testament to that. 
I, we, my wife and I have incredible freedom and joy in our relationship. And so much of that is because we have really tried to align ourselves with what God's word has to say. It brings freedom. It doesn't bring oppression. I want to end with one more quote from John Piper. He says this, Our vision of manhood and womanhood is a deeply satisfying gift of grace from a loving God who has the best interests of his creatures at heart. It's nothing less than that. That's, this, that's a biblical vision of manhood and womanhood. It's not oppressive, he says. It's not onerous or oppressive. It doesn't promote pride or self-exaltation. It conforms to who we are by God's good design, and therefore it is fulfilling in the deepest sense of that word. God made us male and female, and that's a good thing. I hope that you would embrace what God is going to teach you in this series, what God is going to teach you not just from Sunday to Sunday, but from Monday to Saturday. As you talk about this, as you explore this, as you, as you dive into it with your families, with your small groups, with your mentor, because, because as we understand God's design for, ma- for male and female, man, it's going to set us free. And I think the world's going to look at us and they're going to say, we want what you guys have and we can point them to Jesus. Let's pray together. God, I thank you that you designed us equal but different on purpose. I want to thank you for my wife. I thank you that she is a woman and that she is feminine and that that is different from who I am. And I praise you for that. God, I pray that you would help the church in this crazy time in history, that you would help the church, your church, just stand on your word and embrace your truth. God, I pray that we would be a light to the people around us who are so confused because the lines have been blurred. And I pray, God, that we would speak about this with grace to the people around us. With patience, God, that we would represent the the heart and attitude of Christ to people even as we stand unashamedly on your word and your truth that is just being mocked in our culture, in our world today. And God, I know that you are still sovereign and you are still on the throne and you will have your way, but have your way first in our hearts and in our lives and in our homes and in our church. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, this morning we're going to take communion together, and I love this because this is an opportunity for us to just really focus once again on, on Christ. We just had some, uh, some friends over from, from the Riverdale campus. They've been coming for almost a year, and they didn't grow up in a Christian church. And one of the things that he said he loved so much about Alpine is he said, when you guys take communion, you mean it. Like you take communion and, and it means something to you. That, that wafer means something to you and that, that cup means something to you. He comes from a church, a church culture where they just do it flippantly and they don't, they, it doesn't really mean anything to them. And so I want to just remind you what this means and what this is about. I know it's kind of cheesy. <laughs> I mean, it's this like stupid little plastic cup and a wafer. But if, you can, if you're going to join us in this, if you're a follower of Jesus, we invite you to join us in this. But if, and if you need one of these, just lift up your hand. I think we'll have people, yeah, coming around. Do we have some folks that can help Joel distribute a couple more of these? 
Can we, can we, if, yeah, if you, if you need one, if you missed one on your way in, just put your hand up and we'll get, we'll get one. Just keep it up till you get one. But I want to just invite you to kind of take that, take that top layer and peel that back so that you can access that wafer and grab that wafer. Again, this wafer is a symbol. It's a symbol of the body of Jesus. It's not, it, it's not his body. It's a symbol of his body. And Jesus told us 2,000 years ago, he says, when you do this, when you, when you remember me in this thing that we call communion, when you remember me, he says, he says I, want, I want you to just be focused on the cross, on the fact that Jesus went to the cross for us, broken people, sinners. He went to the cross for us. We're all sinners. And Jesus said, every time you take this, I want you to do it in remembrance of me. So would you join us and take this wafer together? And then at that same meal, he passed the cup around, and it wasn't this cheesy little plastic cup. It was probably like a chalice. And he passed it around. It was pre-COVID, so they could do this. And they, they, all, they all drank from the cup together. And it was that cup, what he redefined what the cup was. And he said that cup, which was wine, but for us it's juice. He said that cup represents my by blood, which is the blood of a new covenant. See, the old covenant was confirmed and ratified by the blood of lambs, and they'd have to do it year after year after year after year, but Jesus died once for all. When Jesus went to the cross and died, his death fixed it for us. That's why we don't have temples anymore. That's why we don't have to go to temples and do stuff like that. That's why we don't have to sacrifice animals because Jesus was the final and ultimate sacrifice. And Jesus said, every time you drink this cup, I want you to do it in remembrance of me and my sacrifice. So join me as we drink the cup together. Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you that you did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. You lived a perfect, sinless life, and then you went to the cross, and you died on the cross, this perfect, unblemished lamb of God for us, the black sheep. And God, we praise you that you that you did it out of love. And today, Lord God, we just want to say thank you. Thank you for your perfect example. Thank you for your perfect sacrifice. And thank you for dying so that we could have a rich and satisfying life. We worship you today in Jesus' name. Amen.